0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 170. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Denotic. Hope you all enjoyed the tremendous week two we had. Um, we, we don't have to talk about that week three Thursday night football game right now. We'll get there. But no, we had some pretty pretty darn uh, close games. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit of Seahawks-Lions, some close finishes, obviously... One of the underlying stories of the early season has been a lot, or at least it feels like more than usual in terms of the injury realm. We'll get there, we'll do an injury update and a deep dive, and we've got some shenanigans being alleged from the NFL to the NFLPA, potentially about injuries as well. But either way, we're going to start this episode like we start everyone with my standout seven, and we'll get started with the bigger story. Number one, bigger story, the Chargers sitting at 0-2, or my Super Bowl pick, the Cincinnati Bungles sitting at 0-2. Let's get started with the more surprising of the two results from week two, and it was the Chargers losing in OT in Tennessee to the Tennessee Titans. Um, yeah, this was a weird one. 14-10 Chargers at half. You take a look back at the stat sheet at the end of the game, and you go, well, Justin Herbert... About two, two-thirds on his completions, two attempts, you know, 67%-ish. 300 yards, two touchdowns. Well, they didn't get it going on the ground. Obviously, no Eckler in this one. Just over 50 yards on the ground. Keenan Allen had a big game. Mike Williams had a good game. What happened? Well, it must have been Derek Henry ran for about 250 yards. No, he ran for 80 yards. That's all. Tannehill goes 20 of 24 for 246 let me let me read that back you didn't mishear that 20 of 24 completion percentage of 83.3 percent who's he throwing the ball to guys let's look down the list here DeAndre Hopkins great player four catches for 40 yards Oconquo, pretty good tight end up and coming four for 35 Traylon Burks three for 76 a deep shot to Chris Moore 49 yards, he's sprinkling the ball all over the field. Now the question becomes, how? How do the LA Chargers allow a Tennessee Titans team to, look, I'm, I'm being blunt with you, and I said it during the preseason episodes, I don't think the Titans are very good. And I think, you know, my, my reaction and my uh, way that I evaluate them is only exacerbated by the fact that they got chased down, blocked at the end of last year by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right? Like, the Jaguars came out of nowhere and won that division, and I think coming into this year, I I figured hands down they'd be the best team in this division. Maybe I'm overvaluing the Titans. They put up a fight against New Orleans. I think New Orleans is good. They take down the Chargers. I think the Chargers are good. This was a weird game. And you gotta remember, in the AFC, as we take a peek at the early, early, early standings, it's crowded, man. Right now. There are two teams in the AFC at one and excuse me at two and zero, oh, and there are two, four, six, nine teams at one and one. So you're kind of putting yourself. I know it's early. Don't panic. I'm not saying you should, but you start putting yourself in an earlier and earlier hole. They got to get on the board, right? Now, who do they play this week? Well, they take on the Vikings. That's not an easy game. This is not an easy starting schedule for the Chargers by any means, right? Like, going into the year, I anticipated them to be a wild card contender. Potentially fight for the division, depending on how things go with injuries. Game against Miami, it's a tough game. I had Miami. I picked it. I had them beating the Titans. I'm not sure if they're going to take down the Vikings. This is not primetime Kirk. This is 1 p.m. Kirko, which means he's going to be playing pretty okay, you would think. Then they've got the Raiders. Oh, by the way, who's after the Raiders? Oh, we got a bye week. Oh, who's after the bye? The Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs back-to-back. This could snowball, guys. This really could. This is concerning if you're the Chargers and if you're a Charger fan. Is it the biggest thing in the world to lose to Tennessee? Not really. You know, well-coached team with Mike Vrabel. 20 of 24 passing for Ryan Tannehill. You're going to lose to Tennessee, you lose the way they win games. Give up 150 on the ground to Derrick Henry. Shrug your shoulders and say, well, we tried to stop him, we just couldn't. That's not how you lost this game. That's not how you lost this game at all. And that's part of the problem. That's why we're talking about the bigger story. We'll get to the bungles in a second here, but this is a big one no matter what. Right? The Chargers defense makes a stand early in the first fourth quarter, excuse me, at midfield. Tennessee takes the lead with two and a half minutes to go. Chargers drive all the way down, but they couldn't score the touchdown. Come on. I'm a Justin Herbert fan. I am. I think he's very talented. Dating back to his college years where they were saying he's going to be the New York Giants savior, right? People forgot about that. They moved on to Daniel Jones. Herbert obviously stayed in college, wound up on the Chargers. You can make the argument it ended well for both parties, but I think the jury's still out on both if we're being frank. Um, This is concerning, and look, realistically, I'm not saying the Chargers got to make a title run. The Chargers need to be a playoff team this year in order for Coach Staley to keep his job. We've seen them have issues with clock management, with other things, with play calling, depending on who you're talking to. They need to make the playoffs, and you could make the argument they need to win a playoff game. 0-2, not a great start. Let's talk Bungles. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bungles offense, oh boy, it's uh, it's non-existent. And then we see after the game, and I know they put up 24 points, I know they lose by a field goal, I get it. You see after the game, Joe Burrow starts immediately talking about his calf, and the caveat I put, and it's a massive caveat, in my preseason predictions is, well... Burrow was supposedly dealing with an injury. Okay, well, they said he's okay, he'll go out and play. This is explicitly the same exact thing that happened last year with Matthew Stafford. Different injury, different team, different coach, yada, yada, yada. I mean, from my perspective, as a, you know, talking head, talking to the clouds about my opinions on football and my view on certain things and analysis and yada, 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 I take it at face value. Yeah, he's okay, all right, run him out there and let him play. Stafford this year versus last year looks completely different. Burrow this year and last year looks completely different. 27 of 41, 220 yards. 222, to be exact. Jamar Chase, five catches for 31. Lamar Jackson didn't light the earth on fire either. 24-33, 337, two touchdowns, but he chipped in 54 on the ground. That's what he does. And oh, by the way, his team came away with a win in division on the road in a game that his leading receiver was Nelson Aguilar. Now, I know he's not the punchline he used to be, but that's still impressive. This was a good win for them. And Burrow did throw a pick in this game. Noteworthy. Joey B hasn't been great to start the year, and I'm I'm not trying to give him the cop-out of, oh, it's, it's the injury, it's the injury, it's the injury, yada, 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 but they don't look right, man. They don't look right. And I don't know what's going to make them look right. So... The name of the game is the bigger story? Both. Both. The Bengals fall two games back of the Baltimore Ravens in their division, and they lost the head-to-head in their own house. Chargers fall to 0-2 in a, con- in a crowded, contested AFC Wild Card race. In a situation where Kansas City punted on week one, and I don't mean punted as in they gave up. They lost. Kansas City was facing Jacksonville. That was a harder challenge than you. They could have been 0-2 at the end of the day. They found a way to win, and you didn't. The bigger story to play the man's game would be the Bengals, but the Chargers have big problems. As we sit, once again, it's week three. It's week three. Don't overreact. Both of these teams could and, pro- could and probably will be in the postseason. But we can only react at the time we are. They can only play the teams in front of them. Number two in the standout seven, let's get positive. Go to the National Football Conference. Bigger comeback victory. The Atlanta Falcons, the Washington Commanders, or I will give the nod to the New York Giants. Now, we'll start there because it's not the Giants. The New York Giants, I made the joke last week, they didn't know that uh, the NFL season was starting on September the 10th. And uh, evidently, they didn't know that their game was starting at 4.05 this past week. No, they thought the game was starting at about 5 o'clock. They were like, "Why? that's weird. Why would the game start at 5 o'clock? Hmm. Anyway, uh, they go out and score 31 in the second half and bully their way to this win. And realistically, they should have won this game by 35. Like, I'm not saying they're that good. I'm saying the Arizona Cardinals are not a good football team. I will say it week in, week out. They give up over 100 on the ground to James Conner. 150 on the ground total. Dobbs doesn't turn the ball over through the air. 21 of 31, 228. Zach Ertz looked like he always did in games against the Giants when he was wearing eagle green. Um, Hollywood Brown walks away with six catches for 54. The big takeaway from this game, sure, they can, you know, get gritty and win a game like this, but they're playing against a, I would say, easily, or an easily, I should say, inferior opponent. Jalen Hyatt has been utilized near zero. I don't know if it's an issue with him learning the playbook. I don't know if he's battling being nicked up from the handful of plays he's been targeted. Um, Two catches in this game. A huge catch right out of halftime for Hyatt. That really springboarded their offense. And They go out there. Waller had a good game. Uh, Barkley, 17 carries for 63. Not great. Gets hurt at the end. Costs them in primetime. We'll talk primetime in a little bit here. Uh, do a roundup of those games, but it's not them. I'll give them the nod, but it's not them. Let's keep it in division and talk about the Washington Commanders in a wild, wild game against the Denver Broncos, which was honestly tremendously entertaining. This game was, what, 21-3. to I want to say halfway through the second quarter. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, people said Denver's going to be better this year. Russell Wilson looks pretty good. Their defense looks okay. Uh, It's not a super tall task to beat the Commanders, right? I like Sam Howell, but what has he really shown me, right? Uh, Brian Robinson's pretty good, but they had him kind of bottled up. From that point, they get outscored (laughs) 32 to 12. And the only reason it's 12 is because, and I will dig through my notes here, for this one, there was a uh, a penalty that was not called at one point here on this Denver drive. And then on the two-point conversion, the penalty would have favored Washington. Then on the two-point conversion, there's blatant P.I. And it should give Denver another chance to tie the game and go to OT. But the refs, so, oh, well, we messed up the last one, so we'll mess up this one. And it's thirty-five, thirty-three. Okay, I have no idea what's going on. It was a great catch on the hail mary. Credit where credit is due. Denver, you know, scratched and clawed. But did you really? You were up twenty-one to three. Great game from Sam Howell. Twenty-seven to thirty-nine, two 299 Excuse me. Gotta get my eyes checked. Two ninety-nine and two touchdowns. I believe he fumbled in this game, but I mean, at the end of the day, it didn't turn turn around and bite him. Um, 18 carries for 87 on the ground for Brian Robinson. Solid game. Terry McLaurin pitching in 54 and 5 catches and a touchdown, of course. Scary Terry. We are Scary Terry enjoyers out here. Um, And then we had, in this game, just to branch off a little, we had a scary hit. I believe it was Kareem Jackson. I will double-check that. Uh, Yeah, on Logan Thomas. And he just wallops him. And Logan Thomas is in the concussion protocol. He's still... Has not returned to practice as we are pushing towards week three. He was ejected. I believe they said this was the second time in as many weeks he was penalized for a hit. Like, I when, I when I think of Kareem Jackson, I don't think of dirty player. But, come on. What are we doing? What are we doing? Logan Thomas has rough luck when it comes to injuries. He really does. He's a good player. He truly is a pretty good player. And has been for some time. For a guy that was a quarterback in college to have a full NFL career for the most part as a tight end, and be pretty good. I feel bad for him. I hope he recovers. Um, yeah, this was a huge win for the Commanders. Truly. 2-0. and It's a hard division. Will they win the division? I don't know if I'd bet on it. But to go to 2-0, and especially considering you know you're going to be competing with Dallas and Philly, and those games are going to be hard, so you got to take advantage and win the out-of-division or out-of-conference games. Huge win for them on the road. And it instills a lot of confidence in the young quarterback that he led it there. Speaking of young quarterbacks leading comeback wins, it was 24-12 to as the Green Bay Packers and the Atlanta Falcons entered the fourth quarter in Atlanta. And Desmond Ritter and the Falcons found a way to come back and win 25-24. to This was a fun game. Atlanta's defense looked pretty good. You know, they took the lead with 57 seconds left. There's plenty of time for Jordan Love. This could have been his moment to go to 2-0, right? Not so much. There's a diving catch on fourth down that gets overturned and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, I didn't see too much from Jordan Love. I mean, 14-25 to a buck, 53 touchdowns is nice, but 14-25 to a buck, 50. It was impressive that they had this lead without Aaron Jones. I'm not going to knock the Packers for losing this game without their best offensive weapon. But you gotta close. You gotta, gotta, gotta close this game out. Big one. And not to mention, on the bright side, the Atlanta Falcons in an open division. The Panthers probably not winning it. Tampa Bay looks pretty good. New Orleans looks pretty good. And oh, by the way, you guys are 2-0. and So for a division that some people would say, you know, it's one of the weaker ones, well, tell that to the standings in the newspaper. Because those teams came out swinging. Bijan Robinson in this game, 19 carries for a buck 24. Algier, 16 carries for 48. 10 carries for Ritter for 39 yards. Ritter through the air, not great but not awful. 19 to 32, 237, a touchdown and a pick. Drake London chipped in a touchdown. Every time I watch the Falcons' offense, I wonder how Kyle Pitts is not more involved. I don't know. Falcon fan, let me know what you think comment section if where you're listening has one or social media, all social media at Nick Donatic N I K D O N A D I C can't watch every game, all the snaps, you know what I mean? Read everything. But I, every time I watch them, I think of how tremendous of an athlete he is and how, I I don't know. I mean, I think of a guy like Evan Ingram, right? Who with the giants, they were trying to do certain things for him, but He didn't have the hands or it didn't work out, but Evan Ingram was not awful in terms of production for the Giants. Now, Giants fans are pulling their hair out hearing me say that. Now, look, he had quite a few drops, don't get me wrong. But we're talking about a guy in his years wearing big blue, 700 yards as a rookie, 577 the next year, and he only played 11 games that year, 467 the next year, only played in eight games, 654, more of a full season, and 408 in the final year before he shipped off to Jacksonville, where he had 766. And four touchdowns. I mean, Kyle Pitts is tremendously athletic. First year, 1,000-yard receiver. Last year, only played in 10 games, 356 yards. This year, through two games, 59 yards. Granted, that paces for, what, another 800-yard season? 700-yard season, maybe? Actually, no, because it's through two games. 400-yard season. Excuse me, and my aging, decaying math skills. But either way, a win's a win. I like what they have in Kyle Pitts, and the reason I bring that up is because I like Jonu Smith, and he wound up in New England, and it was kind of a bust. Jonu Smith, four catches for 47 this past week. They can get some dual tight end shenanigans going. Add in Bijan Robinson, who looks like a spark plug. Drake London, who looks pretty good on the outside. Mac Hollins with a huge contested catch in this game. They could get something going down in Hotlanta. So when it comes down to which one is the bigger win, I wanted to give big ups to both of these teams. I would argue the bigger win would be for Atlanta because Atlanta's in a division that's more winnable, in my opinion. I think the Commanders, if they're going to be a postseason team, will be through the wild card. However, you can make the argument, and I won't refute it, that this is a bigger win for the Commanders because of the confidence it's going to instill from the fan base and the team in Sam Howell. I was already on board with Sam Howell from what I saw. I said, he looks pretty good. Let's get him out there. 299, two touchdowns, come from behind, win on the road. Hey, maybe everybody's going to start buying in. And they should. Number three in the standout seven. Let's keep it bigger story. The final time here. And let's get negative with it. You know we can't be positive forever. Um, Let's talk about two teams that lost to fellow playoff contenders. The bigger loss, Jacksonville at home to the Kansas City Chiefs, or Detroit at home to the Seattle Seahawks. Let's get started in Saxonville. Mahomes goes 29-41, 3.05, two touchdowns. They do snag a pick in this game. Isaiah Pacheco, almost six yards a carry onto the ground. A receiving core for Kansas City. That's piecing it together. Kelsey gets four catches for 26 yards and a touchdown. Sprinkle in some snags for McKinnon. And Tony, who brought his hands to the game this time, Noah Gray, Justin Watson, Sky Moore, they have a lot of what I would consider developing weapons, or maybe B-tier weapons, maybe even C-tier if you're being a little bit more harsh. Um, But they don't have that. And this is the thing that I thought would happen, I believe, either last year or the year before. Whenever Tyreek Hill first moved on in the offseason via trade, I believe, to Miami, I thought there would be a drop-off, and I was completely wrong, right? Kansas City didn't go anywhere. So I figured, well, where are they going to go now? I assume they just know what they're doing. And look, there's going to be ebbs and flows, and we've seen that in their offense before, where they'll come out and score four touchdowns and four drives and then look non existent for about a quarter and a half and let the other team catch up and catch up and catch up. We saw that in uh, – several of their performances. Not to mention, in playoff games, they would just no-sell the first quarter multiple times and then come out and play catch-up. So, I say all that to say this. Losing to Kansas City should not be a massive point of shame for the Jacksonville Jaguars. However, you only give up 17 to Kansas City, you'd like to think that you win the game. Lawrence goes 22 of 41, 216, no touchdowns. That's not great. They hold Travis Etienne to 12 carries for 40 yards. That's not great either. Christian Kirk balled out. So did Evan Ingram. 17 catches for a buck 67 Between them, the rest of the receiving core, not so much. Calvin Ridley, two catches for 32 yards. Still working his way into the offense, let's say. Zay Jones goose egg on this one. You'd expect, like I said, if this is a low-scoring affair, it would favor Jacksonville, specifically with it being in Jacksonville. Unfortunately for them, they come up short on this one. And look, I'm not going to bash them too hard because Kansas City's where you want to be. This is a young, rising team facing a team that's a perennial title contender, right? You look at them and you say, look, if we can keep up with them, we can keep up with anybody. I'm not a moral victory guy, per se, but if I were, you could make the argument this would be one of them. And I don't think you'd be wrong. Now let's go to Ford Field and talk about Geno Smith and the Seahawks taking down the Detroit Lions. Geno goes 32-41, of 328, two touchdowns in this game. Huge. Huge. This was actually a really good game, if I'm being honest. 14-7 at half, and then we have a barrage of scoring in the second half, and we wind up in overtime, and uh, obviously Seattle winds up on top. But this was a darn good game. It really was. It was a little odd. Um, Yeah, there was a little bit of a a head-scratching clock management on Detroit's end uh, towards the tail end of the game. But, you know, in overtime, Seattle got the ball. Seattle walked it off. And I know Detroit fan is angry because there was a blatant hold against Aiden Hutchinson, which wasn't called on that walk-off touchdown play. And they have every right to be angry because and I'm not 100% on this Detroit Lions fan, correct me if I'm wrong, I tend to think you will lean the way I'm leaning here. Why is it every time there's a random bad call in a big moment involving their team, they don't get the benefit of the call? You could take it back to the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs with the misholding calls. You can take it back wherever you want. It just feels like the Detroit Lions get jobbed every time. Um, I'm not going to knock Detroit in this game. Goff, 28 of 35. Tremendous completion percentage. 323, three touchdowns, and a pick. I mean, the pick was manifested by the broadcast team. Multiple times they showed the graphic about how he hadn't thrown a pick in forever. Um, and great job manifesting what they wanted, I'd, I'd guess. But uh, it's it's just such a broadcast jinx. I know you're going to walk the fine line. But, well, we got to tell the people, yeah. But it just feels like every time they put up a... It's the guy that's made 20 free throws in a row and he clangs it. It's, you know, the kicker who hasn't had a kick blocked in 10 years and it's immediately slips and falls and it's going the other way. Come on. I was a little surprised to not see a super amount of Jameer Gibbs in this game. You know, 14 touches for 56 yards. You know, I guess that's a decent amount. Montgomery wound up with 17, but I believe Montgomery got hurt in this game. So you can only wonder how many more touches Montgomery would have wound up having. Uh, maybe a little bit more balance between the running backs, although those numbers are about even, so I'm nitpicking here. Uh, amon Rod did his thing, 100 yards. Josh Reynolds, two touchdowns. Sam Laporta looked pretty good at the tight end position. I, I thought they might be trying to make a move on a veteran at the tight end position, but Sam Laporta looked pretty good. Looked pretty good. Good for the kid. Um, yeah, bigger loss. This is a tough one. I'm I'm going to go with Detroit. And here's why, Lion fan. The reason I'm going to go with Detroit is both of these teams were at home, right? Detroit took it to overtime, which makes it all the more heartbreaking. But at the end of the day, this is the team last year that pushed you out of the postseason. Right? And I mean literally. Not they knocked you out in a playoff game. They won at the end of the season in Week 18, and your game was meaningless. You played for pride, and you won. Good for you, but... They robbed you of that, right? So to think they robbed you of that and then they come in your house and punch you in the mouth again, that's got to sting. Especially considering, you know, Detroit could be in competition for the NFC North. However, I would lean towards saying they're a wild card contender near the top of that pack. But they're a wild card contender and tie breaks start to come into a situation where, you know, head-to-head and such. You can make the argument it's Jacksonville. I've been saying Jacksonville could be making the jump to the upper echelon, right, being an elite team, taking in that, you know, number one, number two, number three seed instead of just being the fourth-best division winner, the de facto division winner spot. Um, That's a fair point, but I'm going to lean towards Detroit in this one because I thought they would pull out the victory. I didn't realistically expect Jacksonville to pull out the win. That brings me to number four in the standout seven. Let's talk prime time. Sunday Night Football, what a game between the Dolphins and the Patriots. Patriots, another game where they're keeping it close when realistically, I tend to think most people didn't really think they would. Mack goes for 230, touchdown and a pick. Touchdown from Ramondre Stevenson on the ground. A weird ending to this one. Just like week one where you had the wide receiver of the Patriots just barely not getting his feet in bounds, and the team loses. This one you had a, a short underneath throw on a fourth down lateral to an offensive lineman couldn't make the line to gain they had to review it I think it was the right call if I'm being honest um I wasn't overly impressed by the Dolphins in this game I wasn't taken aback though I mean Raheem Mostert dominated 18 for a buck 21 on the ground is tremendous Tyreek Hill held to just 40 yards Is Bill Belichick doing Bill Belichick I am concerned about the Jalen Waddell injury. He entered concussion protocol, which is scary words to hear, especially when you're thinking about the Miami Dolphins, the issues they dealt with last year with Tuatunga-Vailoa. It's a rough spot to be in for the Dolphins because there's nothing you can really do to accelerate that. It's not, you know, Aaron Rodgers was talking about this past week how he had this innovative procedure for his Achilles and he's tra- targeting a mid-January return. You can do that with an Achilles injury or a knee injury or, you know, even a back injury if you're getting real risky with it, wrap a club up on the hand if you're playing defense as a lineman or a linebacker. You can't do that with your head, right? Like you just have to wait it out and see what happens and hope that – hope against hope that you'll be all right. So we're rooting for Jalen Waddell, explosive player, tremendous player. Big win for Miami. This would have been bad to lose on the road, I'll admit. They had momentum out of week one. Go into Foxborough and lose to Mac Jones—not what you want. But they held on and got the W. Next, the Monday Night Football doubleheader. Um, Carolina did not look very good. I'll be honest. I didn't think Carolina would be very good, but 22 to 33 for a buck 50 for Bryce Young, early in his career. Call it you know whatever. Learning the playbook, learning this, learning that. Underwhelming, but uh, they stayed in the fight for the majority of this game, the entirety of this game, actually. Miles Sanders, you know, 14 for 43, okay. Seven catches for Adam Thielen, nothing crazy. Of course, I talked about Derek Carr at the beginning of the year, how he really, oh, he doesn't throw that many interceptions, and he throws one to the other team in this one. Uh, Taysom Hill, big impact on the ground, nine carries for 75. Chris Olave looked good, Rashid Shaheed continued to look good, and Michael Thomas looks more like Michael Thomas. The Saints are looking like the team I thought they would be, and, you know, for, us, for the Saints fans out there, I'm sure that's reassuring. Considering it's been an inconsistent team for the last couple of years, and you may not really know what you're going into, right? Um yeah. Another thing to take away from this one there was some soft defense from New Orleans late in this game, and Carolina made it a game with that two point conversion, make it 2017 late. Minute 16 left on the clock. Playing really soft, that's not going to fly against better teams than Carolina. Um, put it on Dennis Allen. Put it on the defensive coordinator, the coaching staff, whoever. They walk away with a win, but they, they made this one close. Maybe somebody was betting on the spread out there somewhere. Um, the other Monday Night Football game, a bizarre, weird game between AFC North rivals. The Cleveland Browns walked into Accrashire Stadium, not Heinz Stadium anymore, or Hines Field, I should say. Um, And they walked out with a loss in a game where the opposing quarterback was 15-for-30 and the leading rusher had 43 yards on the ground. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers in this game for (laughs) the Cleveland Browns. Not to mention Nick Chubb, obviously the huge one, goes down with an injury in this game. He's going to be done for the year. He's had knee injuries before. This is concerning for the trajectory of his entire career, according to some. So we're rooting for you, Nick Chubb. Great running back when he's out there. Unfortunate circumstance he finds himself in here. Uh, Jerome Ford looked great. 106 yards on the ground. Deshaun Watson did not. 22 of 40, 235. Um, huge splash play for George Pickens. Goes for a touchdown. Four, ca- four catches for a buck 27. What a bizarre game. What a truly bizarre game. A strip sack touchdown to take the lead late in this one. Uh, I believe Highsmith knocked it out and TJ Watt ran it all the way back. There were seven minutes left in this game. Cleveland couldn't do anything on that drive. They get the ball back with 255. Couldn't win it on that drive. I mean, I thought there was some pass interference late in this game that was uncalled. It is what it is. You're in Pittsburgh. You had seven minutes to put together anything. Wow, that's Cleveland Browns football for you. it truly is. And I was high on this Browns team with Chubb out and Kareem Hunt coming in to be their replacement back. You'd assume along with Ford. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I could be all in on that one anymore. Um, then we get to Thursday night football. The New York Giants looked like I thought they would. Um, admittedly, they put up better fight than I thought they would as well, though. It was 17 to 12 at one point in this game. And they didn't have their best offensive weapon in Saquon Barkley. Not that he would have been very effective against the great 49ers defense they were going into. Uh, Yeah, Daniel Jones didn't look great. The offensive line didn't look great. Running game didn't look... Everything about it looked bad. Brock Purdy looked pretty darn good. Uh, Christian McCaffrey looked pretty darn good. San Francisco's so good, man. They are easily top two in the NFC. You can make the argument they're the best team in the NFC. However, while we're here... Let's talk about the fact that Trent Williams got away with punching Ashawn Robinson at the end of the first half. If you watch this game, I like to think, if you're a loyal listener, the handful of you out there, and I appreciate you coming back, you thought, well, I wonder what Nick's going to say about that one. Well, the NFL, in their infinite wisdom, came out and said explicitly they, quote, couldn't confirm Trent Williams' punch. Now, that's intriguing to me. Because I have two eyes, and I was watching the live feed on Amazon Prime. Now, they have access to many more camera angles than the live feed, right? We only get the one that the production team hands out. And I saw Trent Williams live throw what looked like a slap, and then on immediate replay review, within, I'd say, 60 seconds, saw Trent Williams throw a bald fist at a Sean Robinson's helmet. After pushing Shaun Robinson to initiate the scrum, pushes him, Robinson gets in his face, because he's like, hey dude, why'd you push me? Throws a punch at him. Am I saying a Trent Williams ejection would have changed this game? No. I think San Francisco is significantly better than the New York Giants, especially right now as we stand, especially with Barkley out, all things considered. However, I do think it's shenanigans. That you could blatantly say Oh, we couldn't confirm it There was six seconds to halftime You could have come out of halftime And said, we reviewed it You're ejected You could do anything you want You're the league You could stop the game for five minutes It doesn't matter, it's halftime There's six seconds to the half You're not stopping the flow of anything They tried to kneel it into halftime It's shenanigans It's shenanigans come on, guys, what are we doing? I'm not saying they're playing favorites or they're defending anybody. uh, It's just incompetence. Like, come on. What's one of the few things you can get ejected for in this sport where you can legally spear other human beings? The ones where you can pick dudes up and slam them into the ground. Can't throw a punch, don't do that. Oh, 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 don't do that. Unless you're Trent Williams. And then they they have the gall to call offsetting unsportsman-likes. When Williams initiated, Robinson got in his face, didn't make contact, didn't push him, didn't do anything, and then Williams threw a punch after initiating. Offsetting penalties. You want to call offsetting? Fair enough, but eject Williams for throwing the punch. Call two on Williams and one on Robinson. You give the guy a flag for getting pushed and getting hit in the face? What are we doing here, guys? Oh my goodness, that was disgusting. And look, you know, from a New York perspective, the Giants were walking into a buzzsaw, right? It didn't make too much of a difference. You can argue, right? They were going to lose the game anyway. It is what it is. But come on. Come on, guys. What are we doing? It got away from the Giants late. It was 20-12. to There was a missed pass interference at one point on, on Waller up the sideline when it was 20-12 to and wound up 30-12, obviously. What are we doing? Ridiculousness. That brings us to the end of the primetime block here. Let's get into some news before we get into the injuries and then the pick-em portion of this week's episode. Number five in the standout seven. What's going on with Justin Fields? And we're not even gonna get into necessarily what's going on with the Chicago Bears, where their defensive coordinator resigns, and they said they hadn't seen him in a day or two, and then there was reports which were which were declared false, reportedly, that they were raiding, I believe it was Hallis Hall or a Bears-affiliated building, and then they said it was it was Charles Tillman, who was an FBI agent and was involved in this which apparently he is an fbi agent but no he was not involved in this i'll use my microphone into the masses here to tell you that didn't happen on behalf of peanut tillman great player but what's going on we don't even need to get into that that's bizarro and we'll get the details on that probably in like six months when the legal proceedings happen justin fields oh justin Justin Fields said that he felt like he was playing robotic out there on the field. Playing robotic. Said that he, you know, paralysis by analysis, as they say. The thing they accused Peyton Manning of having quite a few times when he used to have trouble beating Bill Belichick. And then when asked what made him start to play robotic, his response was it could be coaching. And then Now, mind you, I watched this entire unedited clip of that interaction. Um, I also watched a clip of the Bears coaching staff running three consecutive halfback screens and the third one being intercepted and returned for a touchdown this past week. I don't know what would be robotic when your one read is the screen, but we we don't need to get into that. Maybe he's referencing a different part of the game. He then tries to immediately about-face by saying you guys are taking it out of context You're trying to divide us Yada 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 All the shenanigans All the, the BS talk you would hear From somebody who just let their tongue slip And they're like Ooh, I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't have told them what I'm thinking Now I can respect him trying to walk the company line After the fact But at the same time There were articles written Preseason That Justin Fields was one of the most bet players to win the MVP. I think Justin Fields is pretty good as a football player. In two years, Justin Fields started 25 games. He played in 27. He is thrown for 4,000 yards. He has 24 touchdowns to 21 interceptions. I will admit, he also has, in that time, Fifteen hundred and fifty plus rushing yards and ten touchdowns. His team's record in his starts five and twenty. Has he had great weapons around him? No. I, I would tell you explicitly, immediately no. Has he had a great offensive line? No, I don't think so. Um Has he had great coaching? No. I wouldn't say he has especially great coaching. However, that and this is just me having beef with people, you can spend your money however you want. It's bizarro for me, for anyone to think Justin Fields was about to win the MVP. You want to say he's going to have a breakout year? The Bears might win the division and surprise some people? Sure. You know what? Write me up something interesting and I'll buy it. I'll buy the hopium. Right? And there's, you know, if you're a fan, you should be optimistic. It's your team. Right? You'd hope. It's an open division, you could say. The Vikings got upset. Detroit will come back down a little bit. Who knows what Green Bay is? Fair enough. The point, I bring this up because it's bizarre. And I bring this up because what could possibly be making you feel robotic? I I mean, are the concepts that they're running in this offense too complex? Is that what it is? I mean, week one, you go 24-37, 65% completion percentage, about 216 yards a touchdown and a pick that looks like a Justin Fields stat line I don't understand the thing is he was so quick to backtrack and he just you know let it slip out well it could be the coaching what do you mean by that right what did you mean it could be the coaching that's causing you to feel robotic what do you mean you feel robotic I don't understand like I said I interpret it as paralysis by analysis sort of thing right but I'm shooting blanks I don't know Justin Fields I don't know Matt Eberflus I don't know any of these people so the only one that really knows what he meant is him right and what did you mean by that what do you mean you feel robotic it's interesting to me robotic in this offense 16 to 29 55% completion percentage what kind of robot is that that robot is malfunctioning. It's like I said, if it's an overcomplication of the offensive system, you could whittle it down and make it more simple. But you guys aren't succeeding with it like this. You think you're going to succeed more with it with less reads for the QB where it's one two scramble? I mean, he's still young. He's 24 years of age this season. So there's development that could still occur. I'm not saying he's washed or anything. He could have a great NFL career starting next year, starting this year, starting this week. Very weird comment to make out of Justin Fields. When you are the franchise quarterback, de facto, at least through this year and the next, you'd think. Very weird. Number six in the standout seven. I'll just touch on this one and keep it trucking. Supposedly, the NFL is filing a grievance against the NFLPA over some reports that the NFLPA was potentially encouraging some running backs to uh, accentuate uh, some nicks, some injuries. Maybe, you know, don't push yourself to come back that week early. Maybe, I don't know, yeah, I am feeling a little sore. I think I am going to miss practice. It's interesting. Do they have proof? I don't know. We'll find out. However, I will say this. Considering the running back market, and considering... um where the running backs, the elite running backs in the NFL stand, save for Christian McCaffrey in terms of contractually, I completely understand that this was probably floated. Was it floated by the union? I don't know. But I can almost guarantee you somebody thought of it. And if they didn't say it out loud, they might have, you know, alluded to something of that sort. Because I remember hearing this in the offseason myself, and I don't know anybody, right? I'm not some plugged-in expert here. But I do remember hearing some people say, well, you know, Maybe you won't push to get back. Maybe maybe you will say, ah, I need a breather after that one. Because you got to protect your body. We saw Saquon Barkley in that game against the Cardinals, New York Giants 1, gets rolled over on his ankle at the end of the game and he's limping off the field. It's rough. And it's also an odd place to be put in if you are a Saquon Barkley or one of these players because at the end of the day they always push, that, oh, it's a family, it's a brotherhood in that locker room, yada, yada, yada. And sometimes it's not lip service, guys. Sometimes that's truly how they feel. And if that is how you feel, you want to be out there for your brothers, for your family. You want to be out there and be successful. Also because you realize, well, if my team needs me out there, they're going to be worse with me on the bench. Or what if the next guy comes in and does better than me? And they don't need me. And my contract isn't guaranteed through next year. It's only through this year. The dangerous place to be in. Weird little thing I wanted to throw in there in case you guys hadn't heard. Number seven in the standout 7 we'll do news and notes. We talked about Aaron Rodgers. We talked about the Chicago defensive coordinator. Cam Akers finally liberated of the L.A. Rams. I use liberated loosely and half sarcastically. He's going to be playing for the Minnesota Vikings, pitching in in that backfield, trying to replace Dalvin Cook, who was out there with the Jets, and I believe he fumbled this past week, which was no bueno. Uh, Bryce Young is going to be a no-go this week for Carolina, or maybe a no-go next week as well. We'll expand on that when we get to the injury report segment. Speaking of big injuries, Trayvon Diggs of the Dallas Cowboys, the ball-hawking-slash-sometimes-getting-burned DB, is done for the season towards ACL at practice. You hate to see it. I mean, Dallas walloped the Giants in Week 1 and looked pretty darn good against the Jets in Week 2. Huge injury there, and then they had their center also go down, but reportedly he'll be okay. However, Diggs, done for the season. Anthony Richardson, who I think has looked pretty good early in his career. Week one, we saw him go down. Week two, landed awkwardly in a touchdown run. He's out with a concussion this week at the least. Speaking of younger players, the Houston Texans from that same game lose Derek Stingley, their young DB high draft pick, Uh, Out six to eight weeks, maybe an IR candidate, supposedly. Um, On the non-injury front, San Francisco 49ers are reportedly extending Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in the front office. Seems to be a good pairing. Hasn't netted them a Super Bowl yet, but this team is darn good. Let's see where they wind up. More injuries. David Montgomery of the Detroit Lions is going to be out a couple of weeks. OBJ had an ankle injury, and then they said he... It won't affect his availability, and we'll double-check the injury report, but I believe he has explicitly been ruled out for this week, so I don't know where they got that from. However, they are playing the Colts without Richardson, so maybe they're just confident they can win without him. Uh, We talked about Joe Burrow's calf injury that may be nagging. Devontae Adams battling some concussion issues reportedly, potentially as well. We'll see if he's going to go this week. Barkley didn't play this past week. They said he's going to be out 2-3. to three. He wanted to play this week because he's crazy, but he was a no-go in a hoodie on the sideline. I tend to think he might be a no-go next week as well. Buda Baker for the Arizona Cardinals to IR. There was murmurings in the offseason he may be getting dealt. I believe he requested a trade. Unfortunately, now he's not going to be suiting up for them for at least a handful of weeks. Shaq Thompson we saw in primetime broken I believe, his fibula. He's going to be done for the year quality linebacker for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Chase Edmonds of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, another running back out four to six weeks as well. Yeah, a lot of injuries this week. Um, I will say just a couple more things to comment on before we get into the pick portion of this week's episode. I saw a weird little graphic here. Um, CBS Sports taking a, a little victory lap on Eric Bien-Aimé. Uh The Eric Enemy effect. The scoring offense for the Chiefs last year was first. This year, it's 22nd. Scoring offense for the Commanders last year was 24th. This year, it's 7th. Um, yeah. I'd say this. If you want to prop up Eric Bieniemy, I think he's a pretty good offensive coordinator. Is he going to be a good head coach? I don't know, but I think he should get a chance. Like, don't do it like this. Like, this is... Come on. I don't want to say stupid, but it's silly. That's the better word for it. Like... First of all, you're comparing a full season compared to two weeks. Also, in Washington, by the way, you've completely changed quarterbacks. It's a completely different system, obviously, with the enemy, but it's also a different person at the helm. That is important, in my book, at least. Um, Oh, by the way, week one for Kansas City, they didn't have Travis Kelsey. Week two, they faced the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are likely to be a fellow division winner. The Commanders have played the cardinals and the denver broncos like come on like it makes you look it makes you look silly when you do stuff like this i think he's a pretty good oc i think he might be a good head coach like i've said but don't do this don't be that guy it's weird don't be weird uh here's another one for you from talking baseball fame john boy john boy media football rather Sharing this graphic, NFL teams in their last 162 regular season games from Jay Kuda, very interesting. The Chiefs won 16-46, though I'm sure plenty of you knew that. Um, the worst teams, or let's go through a couple more of the big ones here. Um, second best team in the AFC, obviously the Patriots, 109-53. and 53, Then Pittsburgh, 101-59. and 59. Obviously, if you go by the math, by the way, 162 regular season games would be well now we've extended the season it's about 10 years right in the NFC we have the Seahawks at 102 59 and 1 the Packers at 160 and 2 the closest division is the NFC East which is separated by just a game and a half 95 and 67 Cowboys 93 68 and 1 Eagles then you have the Commanders and Giants lagging behind a little bit. Just thought it was an interesting list of that, for those of you that are baseball fans out there. Uh, of which, you know, maybe there are a handful. I reference it quite a quite a bit here. If you've stuck around, I tend to think you might be a fan. But if not, we'll move on. That's just a 10-year retrospective for you. Anyway, that'll bring us to the end of my standout 7. Take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode. The pick-em portion of this week's episode. As we take a look at the week 3 matchups and the week 4 matchups. Thursday night football. Let's get started with one of my favorite sort of matchups, a battle between the Cats and the Birds. The Falcons head to Detroit to take on the Detroit Lions, kicking off our one o'clock window. Falcons listing just two on their injury report, both questionable, corner Jeff Okuda with a foot and running back Cordero Patterson with a thigh. Notably, not listed as a joker, listed as a running back this time. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, the Lions listing a handful of players on their injury report as out. Offensive lineman Taylor Decker with an ankle and guard Vitae. Let's be let's be honest. We know why I went Vitae. Uh, with a knee injury. Also out, two in the defensive backfield. Safety Kirby Joseph with a hip and corner Emmanuel Mosley with a knee slash hammy. Doubtful for this one. Running back Dave Montgomery with a thigh. Questionable two wide receivers. Big ones, Josh Reynolds, who scored twice last week with a groin, and Amon Ross St. Brown, who's the best receiver on this team, with a toe injury. This is an interesting game. Falcons with some momentum, rolling off a big win over the Packers. Obviously Detroit coming off of a tough loss at home. This one is going to be in Detroit. And I don't know if we've seen the real Lions team yet. I don't know if the Lions are good enough to beat Kansas City. You know what I mean? Obviously, they did it, but you get what I'm saying. I don't know if there's some NFC burgeoning powerhouse, but I don't think they're a team that realistically should be losing at home to Seattle. And that gives me cause to pause, because Atlanta last year was a mediocre team, but they kept every game close, and sometimes they were good enough to make the place. Last week was one of those times. Can they do it two weeks in a row? I'm going to take the Falcons. You know what? I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons to pull off a moderate upset here on the road because I thought Detroit should have really brought home that victory last week. Maybe they'll play angry this week. They probably will. They'll go out there and trounce the Falcons. However, I thought they'd roll with the momentum from week one and start a little bit of a streak here. And you get a good win over the chiefs. You get a good win over Seattle. And then you show Atlanta, Hey, there's levels to this. Well, maybe you guys are on the same level. And for that reason, I'm going to take the Falcons to win this one on the road. I'll admit I'm not super confident in it, but I'm taking it nonetheless. Next, we got a battle between Owen 2 teams from U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Chargers head up to Minnesota to take on Kirko and the Vikings. Chargers going to be without running back Austin Eckler with an ankle injury and linebacker Eric Kendricks with a hammy. Questionable, couple of big ones, three linebackers. Chris Rumpf with a hammy, Diane Henley with a hammy, and Joey Bosa, as well as D-lineman Christopher Hinton with a back injury. Vikings going to be without outside linebacker Marcus Davenport with an ankle, and questionable, a big one on the O-line, center Garrett Bradbury with a back. I think this should be a high-scoring, fun game. I truly do. I think the Chargers are the better of these two teams. Neither of these two teams, in terms of talent. The schedule has made them 0-2, but I don't think they're bad teams. However, the Chargers have let me down, and uh, Big Kirko in the 1 o'clock window at home. I'm taking the Vikings. Kirk may throw three picks in this game and really throw things in a loop, but you know what? Kirk's been pretty good for a while here. He was good in Thursday night football, I'd say. Give me the Vikings to win this one at home and get back in the thick of things in that NFC North. Speaking of the NFC North, their division-made Green Bay Packers are playing host to the New Orleans Saints at Lambeau Field. The Saints are going to be without running back Jamal Williams with a hamstring injury. Doubtful, tight end Foster Moreau with an ankle, and questionable, two in the defensive backfield. Corner, Paulson Adebo with a hammy, and safety, Hugo Amadi with a knee. Packers are going to be without just two, Zane Anderson at safety with a hammy, and lineman elton jenkins with a knee questionable a couple of big ones running back aaron jones listed as questionable once again with a hamstring he missed last week's action wide receiver christian watson with a hammy as well offensive lineman david bakhtiari with a knee corner jair alexander with a back and linebacker lucas van ness with an elbow admittedly the packers are pretty beat up considering we're three weeks into the season aaron jones is their best offensive player is a premium offensive lineman. Jenkins is pretty good on the line as well. Watson's a deep threat for them, and Jair Alexander is one of the better corners in the league. All of them on the injury report this early in the year does not bode well. Um, therefore, I'm going to take the Saints to win this one on the road. Have the Saints impressed me thus far this year? Not in the slightest. They barely won in Week 1, and they barely won in Week 2. Uh, however, I'll take Derek Carr on the road to improve his team to 3-0. and oh. Our next matchup is an AFC South showdown coming to you from Jacksonville, Florida. We have the Houston Texans taking on the last year's division champion, Jaguars. Texans going to be without some players on their defensive side. We talked about Derek Stingley, who's out with a hamstring injury. Well, you can add in Tavier Thomas with a hand injury at corner. Safety Jalen Petrie with a chest, and linebacker Denzel Perriman with a hand-slash-wrist. Questionable on the offensive side, left tackle Laramie Tunsell with a knee. Jaguars, going to be without wide receiver Zay Jones with a knee injury. Safety Antonio Johnson with a hammy. A couple more players listed as questionable in safety Andrew Wingard. Linebacker Josh Allen, and D-lineman Fulorunso Fatukasi. Tremendous name. Got to take the Jaguars in this one. They're coming off of a tough loss, but they're better than Houston, and I don't think it's quite close. Next, we've got the Denver Broncos heading to South Florida to take on the Tua tunga led Miami Dolphins. Uh, the Broncos, going to be without linebacker Frank Clark with a hip injury, and safety Justin Simmons, also with a hip injury. Questionable for this one, nose tackle Mike Purcell with an ankle. Those are two pretty big... Purcell's pretty good as well, but Clark and Simmons are pretty big names on this defense. It's... Rough for them, especially considering they're going into Miami as is. Doubtful for this one for the Miami Dolphins. Running back Salvin Ahmed with a groin injury. Questionable. Big names as well. Wide receiver Jalen Waddle in the concussion protocol, as we said before. Left tackle Taron Armstead, who's still battling the back ankle-knee trio. Uh, Julian Hill at tight end with an ankle. And Tyler Croft at tight end with a back injury. On the defensive side, D-lineman Raquan Davis with a wrist. And linebacker Jalen Phillips with a back. Admittedly, Denver looked great for like the first 15 minutes of that game against the Commanders and the last like three minutes. Um, they're probably better than their 0-2 record shows, but I think Miami's a pretty darn good team. Waddle or not, I'm going to take the Dolphins to win this one at home. Next, the Tennessee Titans head to Cleveland to take on the Cleveland Browns. Um, the Titans going to be without offensive lineman Peter Skaronsky with an abdominal injury and wide receiver Kiaris Jackson with an ankle. Questionable for this one, wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins with an ankle as well. Unfortunately, yes, already on the injury report. And D-lineman, big run-stuffer Denico Autry with a foot injury. The Browns going to be without corner Greg Newsom with an elbow injury and questionable offensive lineman James Hudson with an ankle. Uh, this is an interesting one for me because Tennessee's sitting at 1 and 1 off of a big upset win, Cleveland is also sitting at 1 and 1. Decent team, right? Arguably could be 2 and 0 if they would have been able to control the ball better late in that game against Pittsburgh. However, Cleveland just lost Nick Chubb, who is their bell cow, who is the best player on that offense. And Browns fan, let me know what you what you think about this one. It might be a controversial one. Deshaun Watson has not looked at all like Deshaun Watson, in the bulk of his time with the Cleveland Browns. He has been a massive disappointment, I would argue, and I don't know if many Browns fans would disagree with me. This is a guy we've talked about, over 4,000 yards, great year with the Houston Texans team that was not good his last year in Houston, that he played, that is, and he goes to Cleveland, and it's a better squad, and he really hasn't taken that next step. Is it is it the scheme? Is it the gel with the offense? Because now they're going to need to lean on him. With Chubb gone and Kareem Hunt coming in, Kareem Hunt's still a talented running back. Jerome Ford looked good. But he's going to have to pick up some slack in this offense. Can he do it? I don't know. I'm going to take Cleveland to win this game. I still think it's too... He's too young. This is too early in his career for him to be washed, right? Like, he can't just be washed already. Right? I don't know. I'm going to take Cleveland to win this one. They're at home. I could see Derrick Henry going for 187 yards and three touchdowns. Who knows? But uh, Cleveland's defense is pretty stout. I highly doubt Tannehill goes 80% completion percentage again. Give me the Browns to win this one at home. Next, the Buffalo Bills travel down to the DMV to take on the Washington Commanders. Bills listing no one on their injury report per NFL.com as usual. Commanders listing three players. Out for this one, tight end Logan Thomas, as we mentioned, still in the concussion protocol. Uh, Questionable safety cam, Curl, with an illness, and wide receiver Curtis Samuel, also with an illness. I'm going to take the Bills in this one, hands down. Um, The Bills are not as bad as Josh Allen throwing all those interceptions on Monday Night Football against the Jets. They're going to start to collect some wins here, and this this would be a huge one for the Commanders if they can win it. I would say, like I said, moral victory. Not usually my thing, but it seems this week it is. If the Commanders can keep this one a single-score game for the bulk of it, that's a pretty good one. That shows that you're better than people expected, especially you know, if Sam Howell can sling it and keep up with Josh Allen, which I think they have enough weapons to try and do, though they'll probably go ball control, play it safe, play it smart. It's hard to make it work the whole game. Eventually, you're going to have to score. You're going to have to keep up. Let's see what Sam Howell can do. Uh, give me the bills to win this one on the road. Our next matchup is the Battle of Baltimore as the Indianapolis Colts head to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Ravens, going to be without Odell Beckham with an ankle injury, Ronnie Stanley with a knee injury, that's their left tackle, center Tyler Linderbaum with an ankle injury, running back Justice Hill with a foot, and on the defensive side, outside linebacker Odafe Owe with an ankle, corner Marlon Humphrey with a foot, and safety Marcus Williams with a peck. That is a laundry list of injuries for Week 3. That is tremendously unlucky. Uh, the Colts, however, going to be without their center fighting through the concussion protocol and their starting quarterback also in the concussion protocol. Oh, by the way, questionable for this one, Big Q, Quentin Nelson with a toe and corner Kenny Moore, the second with a knee injury. I mean, the Colts have the shoe, right? Gardner Minshew, you never know what can happen. I'm going to take Baltimore in this one. I'd be shocked if this game was realistically super close. Um, Sorry, sorry Colts fans out there. I like Anthony Richardson, but obviously he's going to be a no-go in this one. Let's hope he gets healthy and back out on the field in no time, but don't think this one's going your way. Give me Baltimore at home. Our final 1 o'clock kick is in AFC East. Showdown between the ailing New York Jets and the New England Patriots. Patriots listing a handful of players as questionable on their injury report. Offensive lineman Cole Strange with a knee injury. Offensive lineman Mike Nwenu with an ankle as well as offensive lineman City So with a concussion, D-lineman Christian Barmore with a knee, and corner Jonathan Jones with an ankle. For the Jets, they're going to be without offensive lineman Wes Schweitzer in the concussion protocol, as well as safety Tony Adams with a hammy, and obviously Aaron Rodgers, who's rehabbing his Achilles injury. Questionable, Jets kicker Greg Zerline battling a groin injury, which is really one of the worst ones you could have as a kicker, I imagine. Uh, O-lineman Dwayne Brown with a shoulder-slash-hip. And D-lineman John Franklin Myers battling a hip injury as well. I, I'm on the fence here. Because the Jets did technically beat Buffalo, right? They did win that game. They forced turnovers in that game. If they can force Josh Allen to make bad throws, you'd think they can do it to back Jones. But I haven't think the Patriots have looked that bad through two weeks. They've really stuck around in two games that I think they're the inferior team easily. This game? I'm not so sure. With Zach Wilson at the helm for the Jets? I don't know. He might be he might wind up seeing ghosts like Darnold did. Give me the pats to win this one on the road. I'm iffy, but you know what? Why not? Let's take a swing at it. Belichick's not going 0-3. Next in the 4 05 slot, we have a matchup which was tremendous a handful of years ago, as the Carolina Panthers head to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. Talking about the Legion of Boom. Cam Newton sort of days. Panthers, as we said, are going to be without Bryce Young with an ankle injury. I believe they're going to go with Andy Dalton in this one, the red rifle. Questionable, outside linebacker Justin Houston with a calf injury. Seahawks listing a laundry list on their injury report. They're going to be without offensive lineman Charles Cross with a toe, uh, as well as DB Kobe Bryant with a toe as well. Doubtful, tight end Will Disley with a shoulder and corner Tariq Woolen with a chest injury. Questionable, running back DJ Dallas with an illness. Wide receiver DK Metcalf with a rib injury. Offensive lineman Phil Haynes with a calf. Defensive lineman Jaron Reed with a groin. And a trio of safeties, Quandre Diggs with a hammy, Jamal Adams with a knee, and Julian Love, the former Giant, with a hammy as well. That is a mountain of injuries. However, I'm still going to take Seattle to win this one. Carolina's offense didn't look tremendous with Bryce Young in it. I don't think it's going to look much better with Andy Dalton. However, we've seen Dalton come in before and sling the rock every once in a while. There are some weapons in that offense. It wouldn't shock me if it got weirdly close, if these injuries from questionable turned to out, particularly TK Metcalf and two of those three safeties. However, I think Seattle's a better team. They're riding off that momentum from Detroit, and they're at home. So give me the Seahawks to win this one. Next, we head to the 425 slate, where we get Matt Nagy revenge game, question mark. The Chicago Bears head to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. The hosting Kansas City Chiefs are going to be without wide receiver Richie James with a knee injury, as well as linebacker Nick Bolton with an ankle. Questionable for them, running back Isaiah Pacheco with a hammy, wide receiver Kadarius Tony with a toe, and linebacker Willie Gay with a quad. The Bears are going to be without linebacker Khalid Kareem with with a hip injury, excuse me, uh, doubtful safety, Eddie Jackson. That's a big one with a foot and questionable offensive lineman, Nate Davis, for personal reasons. You got to take the Chiefs in this game. I imagine the spread is pretty large. Uh, give me Kansas City in their easiest game of the year so far to remind everyone why they are great at home. Next, we got the Emmett Smith Bowl as the Dallas Cowboys head to Arizona to take on the Arizona Cardinals. They're going to be without Obviously, Trayvon Diggs, who tore his ACL this week, with a knee injury. Questionable, their center, Tyler Beatish, with a hammy. And guard, Zach Martin, with an ankle as well. Cardinals, listing two is out. D-lineman, Carlos Watkins, with a bicep injury. And linebacker, Josh Woods, with an ankle. Questionable, D-lineman, Lecky Fotu, with a shoulder. It's worth noting, this Cardinal team has done a good job of putting up a fight for a period of time and then falling off, which is what you want. If you're tanking, right, it's what you want your team to do. Go out there, look decent for a little while, and then take the loss. They've been good at that. I think it's going to be hard for them to put up the fight this week. I've got Dallas winning this one fairly convincingly. Next, we head into the Sunday night slate. Now, if you're saying that was a light afternoon slate, well, we've got two Monday night football games again. But first, we'll get to a legacy game here on Sunday night football. the Pittsburgh Steelers' take on the Vegas Raiders from Allegiant Stadium. Steelers going to be without their wide receiver Gunnar Olszewski with a concussion, and the Raiders listing just one questionable D and Tyree Wilson with an illness. I've gone back and forth on this game. I haven't really been super impressed with what the Raiders have done through two weeks. Um, I do think they might be better than Pittsburgh, right? Like, it's, it's Jimmy Garoppolo versus Kenny Pickett, Although part of me is kind of a Kenny Pickett enjoyer, so to speak. Kenny Pickett's a decent QB. Is he going to develop into anything? I'm not sure. But now and again, he looks pretty good. And this should be a winnable game. Should be, is the way I'll phrase it. I'll take Pittsburgh to win this one on the road because Mike Tomlin's good for a handful of games a year where you don't really know why they won, right? Say, well, that was an even matchup. You probably shouldn't have won that game. Give me Tomlin to find a way, whether it be TJ Watt bringing home another game-winning touchdown, George Pickens with another deep bomb, or maybe just Najee Harris grinding it out on the road like when the Steelers and Raiders were great. Give me Pittsburgh to win this one in Sunday night football. Next, we head to Monday night where we're not going to have injury reports as we're just a little too far away. 7.15 7.15 p.m. on ABC and ESPN+. Plus. We've got the Philadelphia Eagles heading to Tampa Bay to take on the 2-0 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I've got Philly winning this game. I like Tampa Bay. I've said it going into the season. I didn't want to bait myself, but you know what? I was, I was dipping my toes in the bandwagon. I think Tampa Bay could put up a pretty decent fight in this one, but Philly's too good, man. Philly's too good. Eagles heading to 3-0 on the road. Our next one is a Super Bowl rematch without Cooper Cup in this one, unfortunately, and with a nicked-up Joe Burrow. The LA Rams head to Paycor Stadium, tremendous name, uh, in Cincinnati to take on the 0-2 Cincinnati Bengals. Now, if you told me of these two teams, one's 1-1, the other's 0-2, I would say, darn, the Rams start at 0-2. It's going to be a little bit of a rough season. However, the Rams are the ones entering at 1-1. Maybe this will be the jolt the Bengals need. I don't know. It's prime time. It's a team that beats you in a huge game. It's the same coach. It's the same QB. It's, you know, the same stars. I'm going to take the Bengals, and for some reason, I'm tentative. Puka Nakua might go out there and have 13 catches and a half for three touchdowns. I mean, he looks tremendous, and he's out of nowhere. And there were people saying online, and honestly, I can't disagree with them, That maybe Matt Stafford is like the ultra, you know, stat paddy sort of QB. If he really likes you and you're in his offense, he is loyal, loyal, loyal. He's going to jam that ball your way. But the thing is, it's not like Matt's throwing picks left and right here. Nakua's running good routes. He's getting open. He's got pretty good hands. I can't knock him. The kid looks tremendous. Um, I'm a little nervous about picking the Bengals here. And going into the year, I thought this would be a lock-easy game. Right now, the Rams kind of look like they're better than Cincinnati. I'm taking the Bengals. Don't worry, Bengal fan. I'm not jumping off the bandwagon just yet, but would it shock you if they lost this game 30-24? to No. It wouldn't shock me if they lost this game 21-10 to with how poor their defenses looked. Excuse me, their offense. With how poor their offenses looked. It, something's got to give eventually, right? They have too much talent to lose to L.A. Give me the Bengals to try and write the ship at home. 8 15, that game is, by the way. ESPN. Uh, not ABC. ABC's the other one. Next, we had a Thursday night football. We've got an NFC North matchup between the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. 8 15 on the 28th. This is a little bit of a spicy one, because I think there's going to need there's going to be points in this season where if the Green Bay Packers want Jordan Love to be their quarterback. He's not only going to have to show flashes of talent, and his stats through the first two games are not awful, by the way. I mean, his passing yards are not tremendous, but they're a team that's going to lean on running. He's got, through two games here, 55% completion percentage, which is not good, but he's got six touchdowns to no picks. not turning the ball over. And you know what? If you're not turning the ball over and you're throwing for touchdowns, it's hard to argue. However, like I said, I think there's going to have to be flashes of talent and also... A win or two or three they can point to and say, look at that. Look what he did there. This might be the game. Detroit's a good team, but you're going to catch them on short rest. It's going to be in your house. Maybe you can make it up, right? However, with Aaron Jones's health in the air and them coming off of a game against New Orleans, which is going to be a tough game in its own regard, I'm not sure this is going to be the one. I'm going to take the Lions to win this one on Thursday Night Football. Like I said, if they want Jordan Love to be their guy, which I assume the front office does, right? He's going to have to win, whether it be a game like this or a gritty game against Minnesota, which is going to be harder. This is the game you've got Detroit in your house. You need to win this one, I would say, if you want the fans on your side. Although admittedly, like I said, I don't see it happening just yet. That'll bring us to the end of the Pick'em portion of this week's episode, and the end of this week's episode of the Necessary Roughness podcast, episode number 170, brought to you by Last Word on Sports. Join us again next weekend. We'll dive into all the nitty-gritty of the Week 3 action, as well as previewing everything for Week 4 Upcoming. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Dinotic, signing off.